pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 142. Today I'm going to chat with Sven from Manicore Arms, talk about robots enforcing social distancing, the political craze in Canada, and discuss the Grand Power Strybog. I'm your host, Ava Flanell, and Sven, how's it going today? Oh, it's going. You mentioned earlier, I better not sneeze on this. It's just, it's not a good, or cough. So, it's coughing. I'm sorry. For me, it's sneezing. My allergies are like out of control. Yeah, it's actually, it's allergies. But yeah, we were, we were joking here that coughing is like the new social taboo. I know. <laughs> you don't want to do it when you go to the store. And I'm sure you do this too. You're like, you just need to sneeze or cough. And you don't want to do it because, you know, everybody's going to look at you like. Oh, I know. Like, Got the plague. <laughs> I know. I told my friend the other day we were at Lowe's and I was like, I need to sneeze. And she's like, don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm trying to look at the light, trying to prevent myself from from sneezing because you sneeze and everybody's like, get out. Get out. <laughs> what strange times we live in. Uh, people are going to look back at this stuff and just be like, I don't I don't understand. Or uh, the one I heard was somebody said, hey, did you know back in the early 21st century, people used to blow out candles on their cakes? <laughs> right. <laughs> No kidding. I know. I just keep thinking if I had kids, which I probably won't, but imagine telling your grandkids or even just, yeah, you know, back in my day, or even this whole thing is going to be in history books. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy that we're... People used to hug and shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. What next? They're going to do away with sex? Probably. Could be. I can't admit. I got a, some single friends and they're like, yeah, this it's just like a dating black hole right now. Oh, like, yeah. You, no. You video conference dating. I was like, that that sounds horrible. No, take it from me. I just uh, I joined. Uh, it's actually funny. I joined a dating website and I'm ready to get off of it because one, I'm being recognized, even though I haven't posted any pictures of me with guns or anything like that. But I just had, I just woke up to a message this morning where they're like, Hey, I saw you on YouTube. And then I clicked and I realized who you were. And I hope you don't mind me messaging you on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, listen, if I didn't swipe left, I joined Bumble, by the way, if I didn't swipe left, why are you contacting me? And then another guy who's in the gun industry, who's in Ohio was like, Hey, I just saw you on Bumble. I'm like, I need to get off of this. But other than that, yeah, if you're single right now, it sucks. The dating scene, forget about going to bars, picking people up, or even just restaurants, whatever. Everything right now is at a halt, and it sucks. So I feel like I feel like we just need to do a limited series here. Like you and I can just do a limited series about all the screwed up things right? that happened so that in, in the future, people will be like, what? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, so moving forward, Manicore Gun Arms. Stuff. I'm sure you're familiar with Manicore Arms, actually. I am not. Tell me about them. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I was actually going to lead this. I was going to be like, here, Sven, do your own ad read. <laughs> Hand it off. Yes. Uh, for those, uh, I believe we were going to talk about those who have been living under a rock might not know about us. I should actually say we should start a new marketing campaign where we get under rocks and talk to people. That would be great. Uh, but yeah, for those of us who, who don't know us, uh, we're a sponsor of the show, obviously, what we do, we manufacture all sorts of goodies, basically aftermarket accessories and upgrades for a lot of guns, a lot of bullpup stuff, for the Tavors, for CZ stuff, for ARs. We make a rail system that's pretty well known, the transformer rail, just all sorts of interesting things. Uh, we try to basically allow people to customize their guns in order to what they want. We kind of read the market and see what people are 
looking for that the stock gun doesn't do. And besides that, we also, a lot of people may not be familiar, we actually do a ton of development work for OEM, original equipment manufacturer. So we'll actually design parts for other companies under their label. Okay, Uh, then what are we going to talk about in the deconstructing industry segment? You're giving it Um, all away at this point. (laughs) I I don't know, but we can get into the details of all of it. We can, indeed we can. And guys, if you don't know already, which you should, if you use the coupon code GUNFUNNY15, that gets you 15% off, and that is at manicorearms.com. Let's get into it. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. I'm trying to think the last time I had you on the show and we covered pretty much everything that you do, but this was a while ago. And since then, you've definitely added to things that you've developed and and put out. So I figured it would be a good time to have you back on the show to discuss all of that stuff. And you're also pretty interesting to talk to. I figured you could maybe elaborate on some of the stuff that's going on within the industry, outside the industry, stuff like that. But like I said, for people who don't know you, so you develop all kinds of products. For a while, you were just developing products that would go on different guns that were already on the market. As I say, they were like comfort products, products that the gun was missing. For example, the Tavor, you made the curved butt pad, which makes the gun so much more enjoyable to shoot. Like I said, comfort products or products that the gun should have been built with, but it wasn't maybe due to other countries or whatever. But now you've actually branched off and you started developing guns and bullpups and you're definitely starting to gain momentum and leave a lot of those small products behind. You know, it's funny how you you mentioned that, the leaving small products behind. So for people who don't know, I own the company, but I'm also the designer at the company. Uh, We have had a few products where somebody gave some input or something like that or came to us with an idea, but 90 8% of the stuff has been me, just my brain working out problems. So yeah, we kind of started with making stuff for the consumer market, like you said, uh, comfort products, or as I like to call them, uh, sometimes ergonomic enhancements or whatever. Mm -hmm. Basically things where somebody says, boy, I wish the gun did this or whatever. And I, I think our two best examples of that would be, like you said, the curved butt pad, the existing butt pad on the Tavor's might leave something to be desired ergonomically it was kind of designed for shooting off the center of the chest with body armor on and it's great at that but you know we we looked at it and said well is there a better way is there a way to make this more comfortable and it actually was just for me i found the length of pull the gun a little obtrusive and came up with the idea and now we've spawned the whole line of butt pads for all the models of tavors and with charging handles we are switchback series of charging handles the folding charging handle uh, where you, you flip it open, you pull it back, you release it, and then it automatically folds when it reaches the front of its run again uh, to basically give you more of a grip on the handle mm-hmm. and uh, allow you like a two-finger grip as opposed to a lot of charging handles. You're kind of just barely hanging on to something. Yeah. It, you know, it gives you something more, but it doesn't take as much room. And safety levers, which the Scorpion Evo, I don't know why they decided to put the <laughs> safety lever where it is. It's just so awkward and it rubs on <laughs> the- your hand. You know, the we were we had this discussion. I'm sure we'll get into it more when we we talk about the Strybog today. But the Scorpion, and I know the designer of it, and it's always hard to say with a product 
we kind of talk about how I'm doing more OEM stuff. It's always hard to say when you're a designer, you may have a vision on how something works. Mm -hmm. And then your end user, your client says, well, we want it this way. And I know the safety with the Scorpion, the fact it kind of, you can feel it with your, you know, index finger or thumb or whatever, when it's, it's on fire, or if you use one, the full auto position, it's the same thing. You can feel it. It actually was an intentional part of the design that the Czech military wanted. They wanted somebody to be able to tactically feel with their finger that it was in the fire position when their finger was on the trigger. But for mm -hmm. the U.S. market, that's something we view as really not right. Yeah. And it's not really right or wrong, but it's just a different viewpoint in how it's done. And the, the I charging mean, hand. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to say that makes perfect sense because like I said previously, certain countries want certain products the way that they are. For example, IWI. A lot of their products are super accepted in Israel, but here in the U.S., things are a lot different. Right. And like I mentioned before, the butt pad for the Tavors, the reason it's shaped the way it is, is it's meant to interface with their, their body armor that they wear. And you shoot it almost like down the center of your chest or just slightly offset. But the idea is with body armor, it's very hard to get that shoulder pocket weld because the armor's in the way and you'll slide off. So once you start to understand why it's done a certain way, a lot of times it makes a lot more sense, but it's not until you know that. I think the other good traditional example is a lot of Americans find the, the controls on an AK really clunky, right? You got to take your hand off and flip the safety lever and everything, you know, run the charging handle with your, your firing grip. Well, that's, that's considered normal for a Russian design. In, in Russia, it's considered it makes more sense to have your offhand, you know, say your left hand if you're right-handed, holding the front grip while you do all the manipulation with your right hand mm -hmm. to load a mag, unload the mag, charge the gun, all that. And their point of view is it gives you more control over the weapon of you're holding it farther out. You know, you're not trying to tilt the gun up. It allows you to kind of keep it downrange still. But it's just a different mentality, you know, and, and there's you can't really say it's right or wrong. I mean, I think we can argue like an AR seems more ergonomic. Ultimately, maybe it's proven out that the AR direction, when you get lighter and weight and everything, makes a lot more sense. But a lot of it's just understanding the why, you know, like why did somebody design it that way? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I won't say there's plenty of products you, you handle and you go, this is stupid. Yeah. The person who designed this wasn't even thinking. It wasn't in their thought process of, you know, does this feel good? Does this make sense? But there's sometimes there's, a purpose to it it's just you got to understand what the purpose was and then you know, then you look at it and go okay well i don't agree maybe it doesn't work for me but i at least understand why it is that way yeah so. definitely so what are some of the challenges that you face when creating something um it used to be time <laughs> was <laughs> the biggest one i actually have a list of ideas i'm currently working through of guns, charging handles and stocks and everything like that. Time had always been a big one. It's not so much now, actually, strangely, one of the weird side effects of everything going on is I don't get bothered as much with phone calls, things like that, the kind of busy work of running a business. And I've been able to focus a lot more on design. Mm -hmm. The other problem, usually it's a design is easy in the sense that if you know what you want to accomplish, there's pretty much the technology to do anything with what we're doing, you know, muzzle devices, charging handles, grips, butt pads, all of this stuff. The problem you usually run into is making it in a cost efficient manner that so you can sell it at a price the market can afford. Mm -hmm. I can make anything, you know, I could make, um, I'm trying to think of an example 
of something that we've, you know, we've, we've looked at many products and it's like, Hey, that's a great idea, but that's going to be a $50,000 mold. And we just won't sell enough of them to ever justify that mold cost. We have several products like that where it's like, we're just waiting for the right time right now. I've got a hand guard that's been designed for a certain gun that I designed it six years ago. And we just came across a, a customer, a client, potential client that said, Hey, I'm fine. If you sell this to the market, if we buy a couple of hundred of these up front and then suddenly go, okay, the economics start to make sense. Yeah. So it's not, not so much the ideas that are a problem or even the manufacturing of it. It's the cost entry to get into the market, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes like with the butt pad, it took a lot of work to figure out how to pull it off. Uh, another thing, I guess the other quote hard part, but it's kind of just part I've accepted I don't have 3D models or blueprints of any of most any of these guns. Uh, you know, that's all kind of stuff under if I have it, it's for a specific project that a customer has requested. I only can use it for that project. I can't really go anywhere else with it. You try to, to hold that moral ethical line of <laughs> I'm not going to reuse this information I know for something that's not related directly to that project. You know, it's just kind of the agreement you have with a customer or a client when they come to you and ask you to work on something or you agree to work together on something. Yeah. Most all of what I do is actually I have a pair of digital calipers and I'm doing a lot of measuring. And the only other problem can be when you get into things like uh, a lot of people have said, well, why haven't you brought out a, a Tavor 7 handguard yet? there's not a straight line on that handguard. So measuring that is a lot of work to get it into the computer and then be sure you're pretty close. And then you make a 3D print of what you think your handguard looks like. And then you fit it to the gun and you have to figure out where it doesn't quite fit. And you rework it two or three times. I mean, that becomes very labor intensive to do that stuff. And there's ways to work around that to some degree. You know, tricks I've learned in design which unfortunately, if I give them away, then other people know them. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. The only other thing I'd say is difficult is, I guess, in a more philosophical sense, we've actually got competition these days. 10 years ago, when I started the company, my whole theory was let's make parts for guns that aren't served. The Styrog was is kind of where we started. You know, we went from there and then we were the first ones to have a handguard for the Tavor SAR when it came out and things like that. As we've grown as a company and then started to get this OEM work, what really happened is anybody's paid attention to our product line. It's, I don't want to say it's stagnated, but we haven't had a whole lot of new stuff come out in the last two years, because quite honestly, behind the scenes, I've been working on all this OEM work. And so the public perception of our company is, oh, Manicore doesn't make anything new. We make plenty of new stuff and there's stuff out there that people actually have in their hands that they don't know we made, but some of it we can't even mention. We're not allowed to. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, we've got products like it's not really marketed as such, but Brownells has their new BRN 180 retro lower. That was my design. I actually pitched that to them. I said, hey, have you guys thought about this? And they said, oh, that's that's interesting. You want to work on it? Yeah, I'll just do it, you know, and throw you the idea and see if you like it. If you do run with it. And they did. And apparently it's very successful. So there's always the same amount of work on my desk. It's just sometimes people aren't aware that it's our work that they're holding in their hands. And as we get more involved, a project like a muzzle device might take me a couple of days to prototype where I want or something like that, or, or a butt plate, you know, takes a little more time. But then you start getting into things like, you know, some of the stuff we'll talk about, like the 
the WarScorp 9. I mean, that's a ground up project with dozens of parts. I have to work out all the tolerancing and, you know, we're, we're breaking new ground and it's even that, you know, we can base it off an AR-15, but you start to get to this point where it's one part's easy, two parts together that, that kind of squares the, the difficulty. And so every part you add is, I guess, mathematically might say it's not doubling the difficulty. It's, it's like to the power of, so you got four parts, it's, you know, two to the fourth difficulty because now everything has to interact and you start getting into, well, how do we manufacture this effectively? You know, what materials can we use that the market will be okay with? One of the things we've been looking at with a customer is a lot more stuff based on polymer, which thankfully Magpul has made much more acceptable in the market, but there's still certain areas where it's still kind of taboo, like certain parts on a gun, you just wouldn't expect to be made of plastic. We're kind of looking at that. They're debating if they want to try and bake, break some new ground or we want to, you know, it's kind of a risk, but you never know. You never know with a product, is it going to be a world beater or or is the market not going to accept it? So that, that's honestly, that's kind of the difficulty too, is ultimately you got to take the, like if we're doing it internally, we just have to take the financial risk of, well, you're kind of gambling thinking, I think I got a good idea here, but there's really no way to know till you launch it and see what the market says. Yeah, so. definitely. I'm going to take a quick break and talk about SB Tactical real quick. I noticed that on the Warscorp 9 that you created, it has the SBA3 brace, which is probably the most versatile brace on the market that SB Tactical makes. It gives it a nice look. It has a lot of adjustable settings. I'm a big fan of the SBA3. Is that something that you picked out or did it just happen to come with? Was it you something know, that was added on by? <laughs> it, that actually, uh, so Wraithworks is, is our client. We designed or designing the product, but that was kind of, you know, obviously pistol ARs, anything with an arm brace on it, especially when you're talking nine millimeter caliber, you don't necessarily need a 16 inch barrel unless you're, you know, trying to avoid NFA regulations. That was actually Wraithworks wanted that from the outset. I'm a big fan of SB Tactical. We actually have developed a lot of the mounting blocks for them that they use now. So we, we actually go way back uh, quite a few years that we've been doing that for them. And But no, that, that was just Wraithworks picked it. And actually, I got to say the SBA3, anything we have an arm brace on, that's the one we use. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like that perfect combination of, that's a good example of good design, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, an arm brace, because it needs, with the SB style, it's the rubber and everything, you've got some inherent bulk there, but they really managed to peel away everything unnecessary on it and still keep it looking good. And the adjustability of length, it really, in my opinion, it's it's funny because they have, is it the SBA4, which mm -hmm. has kind of the struts on the bottom of it? Yeah. And, and I know having worked with them, you know, the SBA3 far outsells that. And that I think they even got caught off guard by that. Like kind of it was a bit of a surprise when they launched them. But I think it the biggest problem with a lot of the arm brace designs, you know, or the one criticism I hear is aesthetically they look a little bulky sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think they really nailed it with that one. I'm I I guarantee 10 years from now that one will still be around. And it's it's funny when you look back to where they started and you can actually see it's like you could do this evolutionary chart because I still have some of their very first ones just I had bought as a customer and you look at them now and you're like man those were those were bulky you know it was like the model t of yeah right 
you know, it was like literally the genesis of the arm brace idea. And you can see how Alex over there, he really understands the market and has developed, you know, the product into something. Uh, it's good design. It, yeah. You know, like he can read the market and he's not too extreme, but he's, they expand in all directions to really meet what the customers are looking for. Because at the end of the day, they may all work the same. But I think, uh, as we all know, as gun owners, you want your stuff to look good. Absolutely. And he understands aesthetics very well. He's a good designer. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, guys. So you could check that out at sb-tactical.com. Don't forget to use that coupon code GUNFUNNY15, and that gets you 15% off. All right. So this might be a good time to talk about the War Score 9. Wraithworks came to you, and they were like, hey, just design a PCC for us. Actually, it started with, we know some of the guys from some other projects before Wraithworks was formed. So we had a bit of a relationship with some of the, the guys at the company, but it was a, a ground up company and they decided they wanted to get into the firearms market. And what they were interested in doing was they didn't want to be at the bottom of the barrel, you know, and that, I guess that's a, an unfair term. They didn't want to be the most economical guns. What they wanted to have was the most interesting interpretation of how to how to do something you know anybody could i don't want to say anybody could just throw a scorpion mag into an ar but you could just do that there's some other companies that have been working on that too at the same time we were and we didn't know about that you know and they didn't know about us but one of those where it's like okay here's a magazine that's popular it seems to really have went from the oem mag to the the pgs hybrid mag which we actually designed for prepper gun shop Wraithworks had seen that and they were interested in that. And they said, hey, we think this magazine has a lot of potential. It's got that kind of cool curved look to it. Do you think you can make an AR that would feed from it? And I took a look at it and took some measurements and said, you know, I think this is feasible. And they said, well, here's what we want. And then they lay out the whole enchilada of all these crazy ideas of side charging handle so that you don't have gas in your face with the suppressor you know we've got a little mm -hmm. block back there that kind of fills in where a normal charging handle would go fully ambidextrous controls and we'll, we'll put a pistol brace on it but it can take a stock and we want a hand guard based off kind of you know your your profile we want the receiver to match the hand guard so it doesn't look just like one part to another but we want it to blend seamlessly and then we want the lower to have a unique look and it, that's the uh, once once a decade or once in a lifetime customer, you get client that comes to you and says, we're hiring you not just for the technical ability, but we like your design style. Mm -hmm. And that's really what happened with that. That was the kind of the pro product uh, when it started was they said, you know, we've seen what you did with other products with the Bullpup Scorpion. And we, we think you have what we're looking for to develop this ground up idea and launch this as our flagship product you know we don't want it to be just any other gun and we understand that not everybody may want it you know because that means your price is higher feature wise but mm -hmm. they said we want a gun that is fully ambidextrous and looks really good we believe there's a customer group out there that that's what they're looking for and that, that was really where the project started and it started are we in may now of 2020 that actually started almost exactly 18 months ago uh, we actually had firing guns the first generation guns we were shooting them well it was more than a year ago uh, and then it was going through the development cycle of refinement where you have ideas you've handled one that's right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> but you saw, you saw it when it was at shot at a couple yeah. of the booths 
And man, it feels like it was like a decade ago, doesn't it, Shot Show? Yeah, it does. The good old days when we could all good old days socialize we on each other, hugging <laughs> each other, and having lunch together. But they were like, "Do you think you can work up a system where you can have ambidextrous AR buttons and a lever on it?" And man, that's that's a tall order there. <laughs> how do we work this out? And how do you make a scorpion mag fit in there with the existing bolt and the bolt catch? So there was a lot of development cycle in that. On the first pass on the gun, quite honestly, we got ninety five percent of it working. And then there was a refinement phase where it was like, okay, it works. What can we do to make it better? Which is the one that everybody saw at SHOT Show. That was actually the second generation of the gun. With the rear block, we had a different arrangement of how that rear filler block originally worked. And now it is much more user-friendly. The charging handle, actually, I'm trying to think, it, it changed a little bit in the design. So it was easier to deploy some of the smaller features like that. There was some internal work on the feed ramp and bolt catch and things like that. Right now, quite a few people have asked me, well, what's up with the gun? Why isn't it out? They said it was launching by NRA, which would have been mid-April. Mm-hmm. We actually were looking at the gun and I can't really say much, but we found doing some experimentation right before it was going to production. We found a few things. We said, you know, if we just make these changes, these minor changes, we think the market's going to be a lot happier with the final product. We're actually going to improve the product and it's not even stuff that's really visible to most of the public. We made some subtle changes to the bolt catch, how the levers were shaped on them during testing. A lot of these things you can design in a computer, but at the end of the day, it's not until you get to handle it in a muddy farm field shooting at a pile of dirt that you really understand. <laughs> Does it work? Does it not work? A lot of the development of the gun, if, if there had just been the one magazine or two magazines, that would have been easy. But by the time the gun was out, uh, you know, we were doing development. I think there's five different companies making mag or five different models of magazines out there now. So you got to make sure it works with all of them. It works with all types of ammo, all this crazy stuff. I think you can grasp just from hearing this. That's a large portion of my last year has been this project alone. Yeah. Um, so do you guys? Lucky. Oh, go ahead. Do you guys have a release date, or is um, it still kind of soon? Unknown? We're pretty much there. We're finishing up the final testing a lot of things are already you know there's some some molded parts the molds already exist and everything's kind of together a a little bit of it too was with everything going on one of the the machine shops we were working with that was making some specific parts for it one of their employees got the coronavirus or positive for it so anybody who was near him got sent home (laughs) for two weeks and it, it turned out it was the one guy he didn't spread it everything was fine but Stuff like that, or there was uh, one other subcontractor, it was just because they were non-essential and where they were located, they're shut down. So it's little things like that. I think had that not happened with everything here, that put maybe a month or two stumble in the the release. But I think we're still on, you know, I'd say without committing to anything, hopefully Wraithworks is listening to this and happy with what I say. I, I would say mid-year you can see guns out that's their goal i mean they already have people asking to purchase them and things like that yeah definitely i know i know a lot of people that are looking to purchase them as well one of the things that you did come up with that has released and finally hit the market is the cc scorpion the carbine bullpup kit finally i know (laughs) that was talk about just waiting 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 and the problem is is it was out of your hands you developed it designed it it worked great and then it was in CZ's hands 
to put it out and start yeah. selling it. And that and, took forever. And nothing, one thing people have to understand, the larger the company, the more time it takes to bring things out. It's just corporate inertia. And, and I'm not even saying that as a bad thing. Smaller companies, uh, honestly, the idea for the Scorpion Bullpup that was mine. I actually cold pitched that to CZ. I came up to them. I knew a couple of the guys there. I said, hey, guys, I had actually made a rapid prototype, which I still got in my shop. It looks a lot more like a P90, actually, the original <laughs> one. I'm going to frame all my versions of it that I have, all the rapid prototypes one day in a frame just because I think it's to look neat. back to on, yeah. I think it'd be neat to show how the development cycle went on something like that. But that was almost Three years ago, I think we originally yeah. started on the, yeah, it was three years ago because it was NRA three years ago. So it's been three years and we actually thought the project would come out much sooner, but that's, you have to understand when you're one company, you're only having to deal with your internal processes. Manicore Arms is not the size of CZ by any means. We have the advantage of being a smaller company. We're fast, we're lean, we can move fast. I make a, you know, if I just made a decision, that's what happens. Yeah. With a project like that, it's not the president of CZ USA in the US or even CZ in the Czech Republic who makes those decisions. There's some people there assigned to that project. And for them too, I think it was it was a very new thing to have. Small companies don't come to big companies and say, hey, I've got an idea how to make a product for your products that we think would be good to partner on. Mm -hmm. You know, like and if you do, they don't usually say Yes. They don't accept it. Yeah, um, exactly. So, you know, I got to give them huge props. I mean, that takes a huge pair on you to to say, you know what, we're going to take this risk. I recently got one in my own and putting it together. It's funny because I put one together like a few years ago when it first came out and I don't remember it taking as long. And <clears> then this time around, which is funny because it came with the rainbow colored socket and <clears> it almost kind of looks like a suppressor from far away. And I called you and I was like, Sven, I accidentally confused this socket for a suppressor and I shot it. And you're like, that was not huh? funny. You're like, what? <laughs> it's funny now, but it wasn't back then. And I was like, yeah, what do I do? Which yeah, so, yeah, you'd have to be like a total idiot to confuse it for a suppressor because there's like no baffles. Right, or, it's actually you know? a tool to get into the fore end. <laughs> Take yeah. the fore, which you know, but just in case anybody's not familiar, it's a, a tool to take the carbine forend off the original gun, which can be left on for the bullpup kit. It was but hilarious. I, I had thought included in the package, I had sent Ava some stuff uh, with a carry handle forend. Uh, our company sells for that product, and included the tool. Just trying to be a nice guy, figuring okay, she doesn't have one, and she sends me a picture saying, "Hey, what's up with this multicolored suppressor? I shot it and doesn't work very well." So, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but that should give you an idea well, like me. maybe you should make them in multicolor you know but anyway yeah. so I, I i put it together and it did actually kind of take a little while i, I think it maybe took mm -hmm. me like two hours but it looks great especially with the other part the what was it the the carry handle forend yeah that looks really good i posted it online and a lot of people are like wow that looks really amazing and it's just it's incredible how much it's transforms just from mm -hmm. just the carbine to now an actual bullpup yeah one thing when you're developing a product that happens when you're developing it for a customer even if you've pitched it to them they get to have input it's you know it's their product they're spending money on that you know whether it's tooling or just to purchase the product uh, in this case cz actually we license the rights to them and they have all the tooling and manufacture it and all that stuff. So 
it's their right as as a customer to say, hey, we think this idea is better than this. My original vision was the carry handle and an AR grip on it or a replaceable grip or maybe one that was molded in that was a little more vertical than their existing grip. Mm-hmm. And CZ, one of their input for it was that they wanted to be able to use their original grip on it and that they wanted to use the OEM end on it, the carbine end. The grip was because they felt it helped the branding. It looks like a, it's a CZ grip, so you recognize it immediately as a Scorpion grip. Now, some of the backlash we've gotten from the market, this product, for some reason, is very divisive. And I think it's when you see the marketing photo of it with the OEM carbine end and the OEM grip on it, it looks a little funky. I think some people have called it, what was it, something shark or, or whatever. Oh, the yeah. I forget the name, but somebody mentioned that and it kind of stuck. Uh, it looks a little weird and tapered at the front and the aesthetics look a little funky and nobody can really figure out why, but it just, something doesn't look sexy about it the yeah. way people imagine. That is not what my original vision of it was. However, I think CZ, they did understand something. The point was, they wanted it to meet a certain price point. I think the MSRP is $399. If you start including a fore-end in it, now not only do you have to have a fore-end, but you have to have a tool to replace the fore-end, which costs money. So now the price starts going up radically on that kit. And at some point, it's like, well, who's going to buy it? It's yeah. a $600 kit or whatever uh, with all this stuff included. So I, I totally get their decision there their idea was if somebody wants the end, they can buy it separately that's fine they can get it from you or whatever other options are out there but base kit has to work on the base gun and honestly i think that's the right call the only problem is the aesthetics of their end, their stock end, don't quite match what the kit does Mm -hmm. as far as their grip on it I understand where they're coming from on that, which is they wanted to brand it as their product. They wanted it interchangeable with any other aftermarket grip out there that worked on the Scorpion, which for the most part it is. You may have to do some very minor modification of it, but it generally fits. But on a bullpup, traditionally, for me as a designer, we want a more vertical grip. Now there's plenty of room to pull the magazine out and stuff. So I think those two factors together, when you see it, I think the one thing we've always run into when you're a designer or any company making a product, customers can't handle your product, especially in the gun industry. They can't really handle it unless they can find it somewhere in person. It's very hard to find stuff. And it gets harder when it's an aftermarket kit for a gun. You don't get to handle that. Everybody who sees a picture of it says it's unbalanced or it looks a little funky in its stock OEM form. If you literally took a carbine and put this kit on it, everybody who handled it when we had like bullpup shoot or we were letting people test fire the gun, they're like, Oh, now I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, my eyes tell your eyes tell you one thing. It's like looking at a plate of food, maybe the d- best tasting food in the world. Doesn't but it, look so great. It doesn't appeal to your eyes the way. Yeah. You know, if it's just a plate of gray food, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's got the most amazing spices in it, your brain's telling you that's not going to taste good. And I think a little bit of that was the backlash we got on the kit is when they want to show the OEM stock form of it. It is not as attractive as I had hoped it would be as a designer, but I do understand as a businessman all the decisions they made on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that's totally their right. Ultimately, it was 
their investment in a product to make it happen. And we still offer the products. You can still put a different grip on it. You can put the forend on it. And that's why we offer that because I think you can still get it to where I envisioned it to be. And it's nice that they at least, you know, we were at least able to find that ground where we're not literally making a kit that nobody can afford or will want to buy to find that middle ground. And that's honestly, that's probably the hardest thing as a designer is when an OEM comes to you and says, I want this. And you're like, uh, my personal opinion is that's not going to sell well. (laughs) And you feel bad because you want their product to sell well. I always want the product to sell well. It reflects my design. So even going back to my architecture days, way back when, when I was doing architecture, you'd have an idea and you think it's really great and the customer wants something different. And it's always as an artist getting told, we don't like your art the way you're doing it. We want it the way we want it. That's, that's tough. You know, that's probably the hardest thing is you have a vision for something and then somebody wants you to change your vision and you got to have a little bit of, you know, you can't have hubris in it when you do this stuff, you got to listen to them if it's their money you know, at the end of the day, and you can advise them, you can say, look, I think this is a better idea because of this, it will help it sell better. Yeah. Um, no, that makes at sense. At the end of the day, you know, that's, and, and that the truth of it, like, like I kind of said before, you never really know, you never know what a market, the market's response is going to be to a product till you show them some pictures or they get to handle it. And so far, everybody who's handled the bullpup, who's bought a kit from us or wherever and put it on the guns, we actually get fan photos all the time of those kits. People saying, look what I did, look how awesome this is. And once they got it, it was fine. But sometimes, like I said, you eat with your eyes first <laughs> and that, that applies to every product. That's why product photography is so important, you yeah. know, is because a bad product photo tells you, well, what it's really telling you in your, the subconscious of your brain is this person didn't take the time to take a good photo. So they don't care about their product. So maybe they're screwing me, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. Is there, what do you guys have in the works for the future? Is there anything that you could tell us about? Yeah. Well, there's, we are going to talk a little bit. I know about the Strybog today. Uh, I've got a Strybog in house. We're looking at some parts for that. I'm looking at, we've got a couple of things we're actually working on right now. A couple of different stock options a side folder and a slider stock which are a little more universal in their nature they'd be able to use on multiple guns depending Mm -hmm. on the mounting block that they're designed with those we're hoping to launch probably summer early fall we're really trying to get back into after this kind of two-year lull of doing a ton of oem work Uh, i've really been working during all of this shutdown quarantine time I've had plenty of quiet time to actually work really hard on developing in-house products so we're going to try and expand our line on that uh, cover a lot more IWI products and like I said the Strybog the Tavor TS-12 shotgun we've got two things that I just finished up yesterday actually that are going into production for it so we should be seeing more expansion Um, we're even looking at a few products here and there for some pistol stuff that somebody came to us and said hey do you think you think you might be able to make these Uh, and you know, just for your own company, but this is an idea. And I thought, huh, that's, that's a really good idea. So, you know, there we go. Very cool. And then once again, for listeners who want to find you on the interwebs, where can they find you? Uh, you can go to manticorearms.com. That's our web store where all our products are listed for sale. You can also sign up for our email on the website and you'll get an email. You can sign up for in-stock notifications. Uh, we usually try to send out an email at least once a month maybe a little more often than that here in the near future, announcing when stuff's new products come out, 
anything special, just kind of reminding people of what we've got going on. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Facebook is Manticore Arms and same thing with uh, Instagram. And we usually have a post a day just showing off goofy stuff in the industry or our own products or reposting photos if people send us stuff of they've used our products we're happy to repost it as long as they give us permission we like to show off what customers like what customers are doing with our stuff if they've come up with anything you know crazy painted it or put a put together a gun with some of our parts and built something kind of custom for themselves we love showing that stuff off yeah definitely all right cool well moving forward iwi So you make a ton of parts for IWI. <laughs> yes, we are the aftermarket supplier for IWI. And it's kind of nice because <laughs> when I sign them up as an advertiser, I'm like, this is great because this is going to go hand in hand. I could kind of cross promote, you know, Manicore Wait, Arms, IWI. Jelly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, my job just became really easy. Yes. We just, we just need to, every time we come out with new parts, we'll just have, I'll just have to tell you, ask if you borrow one of these guns. <laughs> yeah, right. No kidding. Um, yep. So you make the switchback charging handles, the cantilever, the forends, mm-hmm. gasketed port covers, because mm-hmm. the way that they are, your face can definitely get lots of blowback with the gas mm-hmm. there when you're using a suppressor. I got to ask, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but the TS-12, do you have any plans to make anything for the TS-12? Uh, yeah, as, as I kind of hinted to a few minutes ago, the TS-12, I just finished the design of the curved butt pad for that yesterday. It's already in the production queue. And we're also, I wasn't a fan of their existing charging handle. It's all right. Um, so we've got an improved charging handle. It's not a folder. We're not going that far yet, but kind of a bigger knurled charging handle that you can get a better grip on so you can charge it. So yeah, we are definitely working on the TS-12. Those are the two parts that kind of stuck out to me that were easy, quick enhancements. The one thing, I don't know if you've handled a TS-12 before, mm-hmm. fired one. I'm looking um, at one butt, right now. The butt pad's kind of small on that. So we, we worked some magic and I found a way to make the butt pad a little larger and more comfortable on the shoulder. I think we'll hold our cards on that a little bit, but I'm happy to send out a samples to some people to test out and kind of review once they're out. Well, um, I have one. So make sure you put oh, me in well, that list. That, that's what I was hinting at without saying, <laughs> hey, Ava, do you have a TS-12? Yes, I, I do. So send I'll one send my way. Parts, despite the fact you're sponsored by IWI and Manicor Arms, <laughs> give an honest review. And if it's crap, don't tell anybody and we'll just make better parts. Yeah, we'll just brush it <laughs> under the rug. No, no. We, you know, we always want an honest review because that's, uh, you know, we've gotten feedback from people saying, hey, have you thought of this or you could improve it this way. And honestly, it, you know, if it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I'm not the end all of ideas. I, I have a lot of ideas, but customer feedback's important. Cantilever rail is actually a really good example. We came out with it. I was really proud of the design. And some customers said, hey, you know, I found there's a little bit of movement in the end sometimes if I'm really working it hard. And so I went back and said, well, how can we improve this? And so now we've got our Gen 2 out, which is reverse compatible, but uses some some bolts now to kind of tie the top rail and the fore end together to make it much sturdier so it's a better product in the end and that was that was customer feedback that kind of woke me up and said well i'm not perfect you know we can make a better product and it doesn't cost the customer anymore Mm -hmm. yeah definitely awesome well if you guys want to check out their products go to iwi.us what is going on in the world today it's political, 
So we just added a new segment, Political AF, because there's so many things that I want to talk about that are either ridiculous or political, and sometimes I have to choose between the two. So I figured, you know what, why not add another segment? So as you guys know, the Canadian gun ban, it's ridiculous. If you're not in the gun industry, if you're not into guns, maybe then you haven't heard of it. But even then, I think that this news definitely took everyone by surprise, I guess, to an extent, just because of the extremes that they went. Basically, last week, the Prime Minister of Canada, he announced the ban of over 1,500 models and variants of so-called, quote-unquote, assault rifle firearms. This declaration was passed by order, not law, so nobody got to vote on it. It's in response to the tragic murder by a deranged man in Nova Scotia who killed 22 people. And what's interesting about this is the gunman... He was prohibited by Canadian courts for possessing any firearm due to a previous assault conviction. So he didn't legally have this gun. So the people that illegally own guns now are paying the price because of this whack job. The new ban calls for a two-year amnesty period during which owners would be able to be compensated for the seized guns. As far as compensation, I'm not sure how much they're getting. And within the 1,500 modern sporting rifles banned, Some don't even meet the criteria. I don't know if they just did a search for every gun company out there, but Adams Arms, the CVIs, the OP96, the 99, those are actually bolt action rifles and they've been banned. Another thing that's really funny is Black Rifle Coffee has been banned. So that's what makes me think that they must have just done a search and was just like, all right, put this on the list, that on the list. All of these companies can no longer sell within Canada. I feel for you, Black Rifle Coffee Company. You can find a complete list of the banned firearms online or in the show notes. As with most gun laws, these laws were written by people who have no understanding of guns. In one of the provisions, banning any gun with a bore diameter of 20 millimeters or greater could be used to ban 10-gauge, 12-gauge shotguns. Uh, They are smooth bore, have the chokes removed. The prime minister, he did hint that he wanted to go after handguns next. He hasn't given a timeline to that. He said that he wanted to allow municipalities to pass their own handgun bans, but we'll see about that. I feel bad for a lot of the companies, the gun stores that are in Canada. So, for example, Iron Sights Training Center, they're located in New Brunswick, Canada. They've lost over 60% of their sales due to the ban, and they're stuck with over $350,000 worth of guns that they can no longer sell. This is definitely taken a hit uh, for a lot of those companies that have such an inventory. And I don't know what they're able to do with them because I don't know if they are able to sell them maybe out of the country or actually I've been meaning to look into that. I'm not sure. But if people are thinking right now, oh, well, it's Canada, you know, it's not the U.S. And yes, we do have the Constitution that kind of protects us against this, even though a lot of politicians do not uphold the Constitution. But it just goes to show what's happening on the northern border is a reminder to all voters that you don't want to risk your rights because we're seeing more and more of this with other countries, even within states of the United States. And it's pretty ridiculous. What are your thoughts, Ben? Uh, wait, sucks to not have a maple syrup second amendment. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel really bad for them. We work with a company that exports stuff into Canada. They've got dual citizenship, uh, two people who run a company and they suspected this was coming 
well before the shooting happened. Mm-hmm. I think the shooting was used as a convenient moment to pass it, but the kind of the underground rumor mill had said this was already coming. So yeah. the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who kind of are the ones who actually kind of enforce all this stuff, like the ATF does here in the U.S., there's not really any recourse they have, is my understanding. My understanding is if you own one of these now restricted weapons, you can own it, but you can't take it anywhere to shoot it. You can't transport it. It just has to stay at your house. You can't even shoot it on your own property, actually. It's the restricted level guns, which we would you know, consider evil black rifles, assault rifles, whatever you want to call them. So now it you just becomes like sh- decor. <laughs> yeah, basically. Decor. Uh, yeah, it's like grandpa's, you know, shotgun over the, the whatever. Which the mantle. Up. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. It's really messed up. Yeah, I, I just kind of wonder what are people able to do with their guns? So if they don't want to sit on them, because a lot of these guns are worth a lot of money. Well, you can't sell them too. That's it's, the other thing yeah. I'm understanding is you're literally stuck with something that's no good. I, I mean, I guarantee the next step is the government's will have turn-in programs, they turn it in and grind it up or melt it down. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the way it's going to go here. I don't know what to say, except it sucks. And there's, unfortunately, it's one of those politician feel-good things where it's, does it really change anything? Does it really stop crime? No. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just, it literally just hurts the law-abiding citizens. They're obviously mm-hmm. going to follow the laws. Criminals, how easy is it to get to and from the U.S. to Canada? And I've done it before. It's pretty easy. It's actually a lot harder to get back into your own freaking country than it is to get into Canada, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I don't know. It's just definitely, I say this all the time, but don't get complacent. Definitely go out and vote. Make sure that you stand up for our rights and just don't take them for granted. All right, moving forward, Sharps Bros. Right now, 80% is all the rage, which I'll go over here more in detail when I cover Polymer 80, but people are selling them and they're flying off the shelves. So Sharps Bros makes an 80% jack lower. If you're not familiar with the jack, it is the skull lower. It's really cool looking. It's on sale right now for $249.99, and you can find that at sharpsbros.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. All right, guys. So if you have a question, do not hesitate to ask. Just go to gunfunny.com, click on the contact us form and submit your question. Today's question is, in your opinion, what are some of the worst gun manufacturers? I had to, I mean, some of them automatically came to mind. I'm sure everyone's thinking I'm just going to name off High Point. But compared to these guns that I'm going to talk about, High Point is actually looking pretty good. (laughs) At least you can shoot it. (laughs) One of the guns that I researched, the Zip 22 from Zip Factory. Are you familiar with that gun? Sadly, yes. (laughs) So I... I've never never owned one, but I, I, I remember seeing it in a store. My first thought was, how the F do I hold this thing? Oh, right. <laughs> I know. So I didn't even expect, I clicked on the link and I definitely did not expect it to look the way that it is. It looks like a complete foreign object. Apparently you can't even get a round through it because it doesn't have uh, an extractor. Yeah, so I think it just uses the actual gas pushing in, in blowback to kind of knock the casing out. Yeah, so. which it typically doesn't. It gets jammed. 
even this morning and I watched a few YouTube videos on it and it was just interesting. It the gun itself actually doesn't look horrible, but it's designed just really bad. Like even the charging handle is right by the muzzle of the gun. So obviously you don't want to put your hand in front of the muzzle, but you have to in order to charge the gun. It's just mind-boggling, isn't it? it? Yeah. So and I feel bad because this company Apparently, they used to be really well known for making revolvers, and they made pretty good revolvers, and then they sold all of their tooling to make this Zip 22, and basically, the gun was only produced from 2013 to 2014. They lost their license and produced no revenue, and the company ended up going out of business. So there's that company. Then there is the first gun that actually came to mind was the Jimenez, and so I I looked up the history of that. And it was actually owned by Jennings Firearms, which started by the son of the founder of Raven Arms. So Raven Arms was manufactured heavily on. They used ejected molded Zamek. It's a zinc alloy. Am I saying that right? Zamek? I, I think so. I'm not familiar with the term Zamek, but yeah, the, the zinc or pop metal guns, as they call them, where it's super cheap. Back in the day, I think they used to call them Saturday Night Specials. Yeah. So basically, it's zinc alloy injected molded gun and uh, that went out of business in 1991. Then Jennings Firearms started and it was created by the son of the founder of Raven Arms and it became Brico Arms, which then became Jimenez Arms and Jimenez filed for bankruptcy. It's like they think that if they change names that their product's not going to suck and they just try to <laughs> stay ahead of the curve. Cock- Can they just call it Cockroach Arms because they keep coming back? I'm, I'm I sure, know. I'm sure now that uh, Jimenez or Jimenez... I- I think it's Jimenez. I'm not sure because I actually have a friend whose last name is spelled the same ways and he goes by Jimenez, but I don't know. Who knows? You know, but anyhow, it's just what you know they're going to come back as something else. Like like it's it's guaranteed. They've they never really go away. Yeah, I know. Then there's the Cobra Firearms, which is in Utah, and it's basically considered the reincarnation of Raven Arms. And again, it's injected molded with that zinc alloy llama firearms. I actually know llama. They're not in business anymore. Um, I don't think any of these companies are in business anymore, which is surprising. Right. Llama was a Spanish company. There was a bunch of Spanish gun manufacturers that kind of in the, I think the late nineties all went under and I don't know if it was a government thing kind of put them under. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with the feeding issues. Uh, I actually had, I will say, I have had uh, Llama made uh, 380s. They were like a copy of the Colt Mustang or kind of in that vein, you know, like a little 380 version of a 1911. Mm-hmm. They were, those worked fine, but yeah, I don't know. And well, apparently they were a step up from the Raven Arms. Yeah, they were made with real steel, not Zamek. Hey, there you go. <laughs> There you go. So yeah, lots of uh, crappy manufacturers. And I got to say, High Point kind of puts all these guns to shame. High Point's looking pretty damn good right now. Do you own a High Point? I no, I really don't. But I kind of want one just for meme purposes or to make fun of. And every time I'm like, oh, it'd be so funny if we pulled out a High Point. And then I'm like, wait, does anybody have a High Point? And none of my friends. And I'm like, man, we just got to bite the bullet and pay the 125 and get a stupid High Point. <laughs> so... I have a story about a high point. I actually have one here in the. Oh I, yeah, I have you have. Shop. You I have a purple two. one. The, that's my wife's. So <laughs> my wife, I took her to. She came to NRA with me one year, and she didn't have a handgun at the time. 
Oh, she had a, I think a Ruger SR22 and she really liked the grip. It's very contoured on it. And her, she's got small hands. She's like five foot tall. So she's like, you know, I'd like to walk around. Can we just walk around? And I like, just want to, I don't want to worry about brand names. So I just want to handle a bunch of pistols and see if I can find a nine mil or 380 that fits my hand, you know, and, and consider that. Okay. So we're, we're going around and everything and, you know, just grabbing everything. And then she walks up to this one booth, you know, all the guns are on display and she grabs, she goes, wow, this, this really feels good in the in her oh, hand damn it it's high point <laughs> like, like, just the look in her face that she finally found the one that fit so oh, after we got back from that uh as as a gag gift to her i found i found a used one it was really beat up a 380 high point <laughs> and i got it for 37 dollars oh on my Gundam. gosh i guarantee okay i would maybe spend 37 dollars <laughs> well i get how many crimes do you think it was used in though before you bought it you know, I, I I was just thinking that kind of has street cred. It I does, mean, it right? A teardrop on it, right? They're like, here, uh, you can pretty much have it for free. We're just gonna give it to you if you could just take <laughs> it off our hands. It has it has more state sides than <laughs> any of us, <laughs> right? But I got metallic purple spray paint, and I got uh sparkly. It was like this sparkly spray paint. It kind of put out like metallic confetti that would bond to whatever it was. Yeah. So I painted the gun metallic purple, and the grip sparkly kind of they were gold blue and purple sparkles on them and gave it to her as a gift the worst part is i spent as much on the paint as i did on the gun (laughs) i remember seeing that too because i i went to i was visiting you guys i don't know what was it like a year and a half ago two Mm -hmm. years and i remember you guys brought it up from the basement and i was like oh i don't know if she's even shot it you know like it doesn't matter because it was worth it yeah yeah totally definitely well maybe i could find one for 37 because i'm like 125 dollars. that's not expensive but do you really want to spend that on something that and i shot a 45 high point and that thing was like a freaking beast that was the most miserable gun to shoot they're like super heavy right yeah they're just straight blowback guns so they just use a giant slide to kind of keep it locked Mm -hmm. it's like shooting a brick yeah but anyways, what's not shooting a brick? Polymer 80, like that little plug-in right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Polymer 80. So right now, they've been all over the news. I guess 60 Minutes did a piece on Polymer 80 stating that the 80% firearms are the gun of choice for gangs, felons, and are used in mass shootings, which I don't know of any mass shootings that a 80% gun has been used. I literally can't think of a single recorded yeah documented instance of a pa to being used it sounds like a hit piece yeah exactly it? it just sounds like oh we got to outlaw these they're dangerous and apparently i'm dangerous for even promoting the company but i like to live on the wild side all the companies that i promote are dangerous apparently <laughs> but palm rate even more so but ever since this aired which was just a few days ago there's been a huge uptick in sales which Good is for them. i know pretty much the opposite of what 60 minutes wanted just like obama you know the obama administration how they're like we need to ban guns and then everybody goes out and buys them i would say now would be the perfect time to buy a polymer 80 you know get them while they're they're still there if they if you find them available anywhere because they are definitely selling quickly you can go to polymer80.com don't forget to use that code gunfunny and that gets you 15% off tactic talk Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. 
All right. So today you wanted to talk about the Grand Power Strybog. And I actually, sadly, have not been able to get my hands on one of these. I have experience with some of the Grand Power firearms. I'm trying to think. There was a handgun that was fairly popular, and I shot it. And I got to say, I, I thought the trigger was horrendous. I wasn't really a big fan. But a lot of people seem to really love the Strybog. It looks really cool. It's super affordable. It's, what, six, 700 bucks. It's a nice little gun for the price. And like I said, it's gotten really good reviews on it. I jokingly refer to it as the Slovakian Scorpion. Yeah, um, that's kind of so what it looks like. CZ is made in the Czech Republic. And for those of you who are young and not old. <laughs> <laughs> that's the me. Hello. <laughs> and Slovakian, Slovakia used to be the same country before they split up in the 90s. But the Strybog was designed by a guy in Slovakia and then is imported by Grand Power, I believe, by Global Ordnance. I don't quite understand the whole arrangement there, but basically they were bringing it in as an alternative to the Scorpion. So I guess you say conceptually, it's mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. It's, it's a, about the same length. I think the Strybog weighs a little more, but instead of a plastic receiver, it's an aluminum extrusion with a plastic lower that removes by two pins, kind of like an AR. Mm-hmm. You know, can take side folder braces, a lot of the same kind of general stuff, non-reciprocating charging handle on the current version. I've heard they're working on actually a roller delayed blowback version is the next one that's coming out. Hmm. But we decided to get one into the shop to start looking at making parts for it because there seems to be enough of a market. Honestly, the only problem with it right now is it doesn't seem they can get enough in just bring yeah. them in in batches. They can't make make them fast enough. And they've even commented that they need to make more, but their facilities can only build so many so fast and, and hold the same quality level. So we have maybe 100 rounds through ours. And so far, I'm actually really impressed with it feature-wise it's kind of interesting because you hold a scorpion and scorpion looks really, it has really good aesthetics to it. You know, the the stock carbine or SBR or submachine gun with the eight inch barrel and the grand power is kind of plain compared to it. I would say, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a rectangular tube basically uh, with cutouts where it needs it for an ejection port and M lock slots and everything like that. But where it counts, it shoots perfectly fine. It functions fine. And the way I can compare it is, I think the Scorpion is kind of the sports car. It's meant to look really sleek and everything. And the Strybach, I think, is much more designed by somebody who is a little more utilitarian in the design. But based on what I've seen taking it apart, it was made by somebody who had much more of an eye towards the manufacturing side of it, as opposed to the aesthetic side of it. I'm comparing the CZ Scorpion here and the Strybog because I think they're they're pretty good parallels. They, they give a good example of design versus manufacturing and what can happen with both. A good example is the Strybog. You can push out two pins like an AR. The whole lower comes off and you've got a complete plastic lower that grips molded in. With the Scorpion, the grip is attached to the frame of the upper receiver itself with this weird lug that comes down and some people have found that the grip if depending on if it's how it's seated in there sometimes it can be hard to get that lower back in it also means that you can't just swap out the lower with a different design because your grip's still stuck on the upper part of the gun the bolt carriers of the two now the the scorpion is a pretty much just a big solid chunk but the strybog what they did is 
it's a big rectangular block and then there's the spring guide weighted part that runs a charging handle on top and they've actually dovetailed two different pieces of metal together that slide apart so it's very easy to manufacture it that way as a manufacturer i look at that and I say okay somebody said we don't want to machine all this metal away to form the shape so we'll just take two shapes and figure out a way to connect them hmm. so they can be easily put together same thing with the charging handle. The Scorpion charging handle is kind of notorious if you've ever dealt with it. It's this little tiny rod with a nubbin coming off to hang on to and a little spring. And it's just not well designed from a manufacturing standpoint. For It has a very small envelope to work in. When we've tried to make aftermarket handles, we've looked at a lot of different ways to do it. And there's just not a good way to do it. I mean, there's ways to do it, but you're not left with a lot of options. And the charging handle on the the uh, Strybog, it's actually just a turned piece, almost like a Sten gun charging handle that you just pull out the bolt carrier and it pops out the side. It's got a little plastic piece that locks in, locks it forward when you're not using it. So it's it's well thought out in the design. Uh, even though the safety levers, I was looking at them because it, it does kind of have that same thing where you flip the safety and you can feel it with your finger. It's less obtrusive than mm -hmm. on a Scorpion, but I couldn't figure out how to get the safety levers out. And here I am. I'm I'm Mr. Design. I don't know how all this works. And I could not figure it out. I finally had to go on the internet and be like, okay, there's got to be a trick here. Well, instead of being like a ambidextrous AR safety where you've got screws holding it in or like the Scorpion where there's a, a little set screw you got to remove or a cross pin because there's literally no fasteners on the outside or even the inside. It's actually, there's just the two safeties are kind of pushed in there and they have a little ridge on the inside. And it's just got a little spring plate that pops up and catches on that ridge so it can't pull out. And all you do is take the lower off, press down on that spring plate, and they just slide out. Hmm. Zero fasteners, nothing to come loose. Yeah, I looked at that and I thought, man, whoever designed that understands good design. It's such a simple solution that I would never have thought of and I, yeah. I, nobody else has thought of. And I was like, that's, that's the future of how to do something like that. Like, that's really clever. Yeah, so. definitely. Anyhow, oh, and the sights are built in too. It's got uh, a little pair of flip-up sights that are, they're not windage or elevation adjustable, but I think most people aren't using irons on essentially what's a semi-automatic sub gun. You know, you're using your, your optic. If your optic breaks, if you're still needing sights, I think those sights are perfectly adequate for 25-yard shooting. You know, mm -hmm. you're in a building, your sight goes down, flip them up, you can at least put body shots on your target or or whatever you know and i honestly think that's a much more realistic idea for how iron sights should work yeah you know, backup sights it's just blunt brute force simple nothing to break nothing to get knocked out of adjustment it gives you some way to at least point the gun and be moderately accurate with it so mm -hmm. yeah definitely all right cool well guys so if there, you have my review <laughs> that was <laughs> that was an amazing <laughs> review thank you so much thank you <laughs> It beats uh, yeah, my YouTube videos where I'm like, yeah, you know the gun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You should buy it. Okay, bye-bye. There you go. <laughs> Throw a couple ums and uhs in there, right? Yeah. All good, so. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Trigger brew. So, guys, if you're in Canada... Trigger Brew has not been outlawed, so now would be the perfect time to load up on that Trigger Brew while it's still legal. Sorry, I had to include that, but I did actually tell the owner I was, now would be the perfect time to tap into that Canadian market. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, blank rifle coffee. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you're in need of some delicious two-way coffee, definitely check out triggerbrew.com. And don't forget to use that code GUNFUNNY. That gets you 20% off. Stupid. Funny. Cool. Interesting. Awesome. As Never mind. AF. Right now in Singapore, they are using robo dogs to enforce social distancing. And when I clicked on this link, did you have a chance to click on the link and see these robo dogs? I, I did not. Do they look kind of like the Boston Dynamics four-legged? Yes. Yellow they, things? Maybe, yes. Maybe that's what they are. Okay, okay they okay, look. That's probably what they are then. They yeah. look so effing scary. And it's walking around. And what does it say? It says, it says, for your own safety and for those around you, please stand at least one meter apart. Thank you. And it's a female's voice. So the female's voice actually sounds a little a little soothing, you know, to make up for the terrifying robo dog. But I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Basically, they put these out to, to make sure that people are reminded that they need to practice social distancing. The city-state of 5.7 million has more than 21,000 cases, which is one of the highest tallies in Asia, and that's largely due to mass infections among migrant workers living in cramped dormitories in the areas. Basically, they have really strict lockdowns right now. You could only make trips that are essential, uh, like grocery shopping, Masks must be worn at all times. They are saying that you can exercise outdoors, but it has to be done alone. And then there's another robot in the shape of a small car that's been deployed at a nearby reservoir to warn visitors not to loiter and that gatherings are not allowed. Just, it sounds like a really crazy movie to me. Like if I were to see one of those, I'd be just freaked out. Like where the hell am I? I also thought that I read somewhere that other countries were thinking about bringing these on. Which, if that's the case, it's actually not completely unheard of. Because I know that when I went to California, I think it was in San Francisco, there was a robot around the gas station and it was enforcing laws. But I don't think that these robots are able to identify people or take down notes. So if you aren't abiding by the law, I don't think that you're going to get in trouble. I don't know. It's just kind of there, I guess, to serve as a reminder. And I'm not sure how many people realize that they're not taking notes, you know, of identifying people and stuff. But I don't know. The whole thing is just, it's just really, it's kind of terrifying, I think. I don't think that I would like walking in a park alone and that I see this robo dog just kind of jump out. and. You know, when you look at it, it's like, do, do people need to be reminded of that? Like, like, is this really worth the effort and energy? What is the purpose here? You've got this four-legged machine walking around telling people to stand one meter apart. Yeah. Why? I mean, it just... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that people are well aware already. How could you not be? Like, everyone's walking around wearing masks. It's pretty... Yeah. This, man, this is a whole rabbit hole <laughs> we could go down. But it's like, the whole reason things like this get put in place, the government says, wear a mask. The government says, don't have parties, don't gather, is because everybody knows you're not supposed to do it and people still do it anyhow i, I mean know. just freaking wear a mask don't gather problem solved then the government doesn't have to come in for the 20 percent of people who are too stupid to think of other people i mean that's really what it comes down to mm -hmm. uh, you know we could get into the 
is it necessary? Is it not necessary? I don't know, but does it really hurt anything to wear a mask or stand meters apart? But then you get into now the government's putting out robots in Singapore to tell people not to do it. Is there really that big of an issue or I don't know. I don't know. I'm very anti-government. I think I'm always, you know, skeptical, which I think Mm -hmm. most, most gun owners are, hence why we have guns, but it just, I don't know. I think if anything, this, I think it's just more to like put fear into people and to make it seem like the government has more control, but I don't know. Who knows? I really just hope that this whole thing blows over. I don't know if I see an end near in sight, but I think people are definitely getting kind of fed up and yeah, how are things in Colorado are right now? When is are you guys wearing masks in public and stuff? And um, there's a few places that have made you that have made it mandatory. And if you don't have a mask, then somebody at the door will give you a mask. My girlfriend insists on not wearing a mask. She thinks it's BS. So she took the mask from the employee, put it in her purse, and then just started shopping around. This was at Costco. But there's a lot of people that are choosing to go to places that don't require a mask. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that the mask thing is, unless you're sick, I think it helps. But if you're not sick, I think it's doing more harm than good. And it's giving people false security because there's been tons of cases where lots of doctors will say it's not helping anyone. And if anything, it's mm-hmm. it's actually harmful to people who are healthy that are, if you're wearing a mask all the time, it's starting to give you respiratory issues. I don't know. The whole thing. I know that there's a lot of Facebook groups now designated to reopening Colorado. There's actually a few restaurants that have decided to take it upon themselves to open, even though they're not allowed to. But Uh again, it's unconstitutional to tell these businesses that they can't operate. So the health department has sent like a cease and desist and they're just overlooking it. They're still in business and there's tons of people that are going to support them. So I can totally understand as a small business owner, if your choice is to break the law and get fined or go out of business, Yeah. well, what are you going to do? That's the problem we have here in Illinois, too, is all non-essential business is closed. Well, having an FFL means you're an essential business. We're we're lucky in that respect that mm-hmm. they, we have a small office. You know, we have a relatively small staff compared to what a lot of people think, and we're able to operate, but... I, I can't even imagine being told you can't run your business and yeah. your bills are stacking up, all of that. We have some good friends who own a, a gym that's right near us, like kind of just across the way from our our business that uh, somebody I went to high school with and they've been closed for two months. They haven't made a dime mm-hmm. in the last two months. And it's like, man, I can't even imagine, you know, right now in Illinois, we're closed through the end of the month. And right now they're saying, well, now the peak might be in mid-June, you know, it might be a third month the state's closed. So. I know. And I'm I'm at this point now where I'm like, you know what? I think the economy is going to hurt us more than the stupid virus. And if yeah. you look at the amount of deaths compared to as many people that have had it, so many people mm-hmm. have. It's like the flu. Lots of people get it. A lot of people that are typically in good health, they'll overcome it. They're sick for a few days. And then for people who have immune deficiencies, it might cause them to die. But it's nothing that we've never seen before. The flu every year, there's different strands. There's no Mm -hmm. cure for the flu. There's no cure for coronavirus. I think at this point, we just need to open because- Kind of face up to it and say, look, it's going to suck. And if you're at risk, just stay home. Just stay home. home. Yeah. Like people should have a choice. Like even if, you know, even if they said, look, we'll open up, please wear a mask in public or or Mm -hmm. whatever. Fine. That's fine. But don't, don't keep all the businesses closed. Because yeah, you you know, it's that teeter-totter of public health versus 
businesses going under yeah. like and it's easy to say it you know like it's easy to say well some businesses are going to have to suffer for the good of everybody well but there's really a lot of businesses the business owner who's yeah. literally going under so yeah i mean imagine working your ass off for 30 years building up your business it's super successful and then it has to close its doors due to something that well you know if they had, yeah i mean if they had said we were not essential we were still going to work in the office. We just weren't going to say anything. Yeah, you know, like, you know, exactly. Just, we were going to have to. I can't afford to shut down for a couple of months as a business. That's mm-hmm. just not doable. And I'm not going to have 10 years of my hard work go down the drain in two months because exactly. the state won't let me do my job. Yeah, so. I totally agree. For any of those companies that are going against the grain and opening right now, even though they're probably being fined and they're taking away their business license and it's just all BS, but... Honestly, I totally support those businesses. I even told my girlfriend the other day, I was like, hey, want to go to lunch to that place? (laughs) Because I know as a business owner what it takes to have a business and how much you pour into creating a successful business and then just to throw it all away is just, it's really sad. So, all right. Something that is not so sad, Triarch Systems. I actually just signed them up as an advertiser. So I'm really good friends with Chris over at Triarch Systems. I met him, I guess maybe it's been a year now, and I really love what they're doing. They just make some really awesome products. One of my favorite products is their Tri 11s. Every time I call up Chris, hey, what's going on? Or I text him, he'll text me back a video of him putting together a Tri 11. And it kind of seems like it's never ending for him. I kind of feel bad because they're just flying off the shelves. So he's constantly just sitting there and they're all put together, polished. The process just to see them put these guns together is just amazing. And then when you shoot it, you definitely feel all of the effort that was put into this gun. So if you guys want to check them out, go to triarchsystems.com. They gave us a coupon code GF5, it gets you a 5% off. And now it is time for iTunes reviews. All right, guys. So just look to iTunes reviews. I only have three reviews left in the queue to read. So if you haven't left a review, please do so. Or even if you have, entertain me, write something, something funny, and it still gives you a chance to win a 50% chance to win a prize pack. First review is SB Guy five stars. Do these yoga pants make my butt look big? I'm a dude and I do lots of squats so I can have a rocking booty by summer. I listen to the podcast while squatting and it will help me get that perfect Brazilian booty. That's cool. If Maybe if I do, if I like create the podcast, maybe it gives me an even better booty. I don't know. Joker 89, five stars, Masada Mania. Great episode with IWI. I've got a number of their guns and I've been very pleased with the Masada with the small exception of the combat site picture on the factory sites. Planning on getting a customized Masada this month. As always, an entertaining episode with great discussions and an awesome guest. So Sven, out of those two, can you pick a winner to win a prize pack? Hmm. Rock and booty versus IWI love. <laughs> That's a t- I got to go with IWI. I, All right. I'm a big fan of them. I just got a Masada myself. And so what does that mean? You're not a fan of those rock and booties? That's a separate issue. That's <laughs> my personal life. Rock and nail booties. So uh, let's see. Ben, uh, you're supposed to be like, nope, I'm married. I'm married. I'm happily married. Uh, <laughs> I, what, what did a friend of mine say? Uh, I'm married. I'm not blind, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> there you go. All right. So Joker89, contact me, and I'm going to send you all a Gun Funny t-shirt. So now it's time to wrap up. Guys, if you want to find me, just go to gunfunny.com. My new YouTube channel's on there as well as the Gun Funny YouTube channel. If you can't get enough, think about becoming a patron to support the show. I actually made it so that if you are a $5 plus patron for three or more months, you will get a special Patreon patch. This will never be available for sale. If you want a patch, if you're a patch collector like me, it's a little bit more of a push to become a Patreon. Also, Blown Deadline is giving away a 300 gift certificate every month to a lucky patron. You can become a Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash gunfunny. I also want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Joshua Hamp, and Sportsman's Guide. And King of the Patreons is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that when Operator Tickles was born, the only person who cried was the vet. He was the first person to learn never to slap Operator Tickles. (laughs) I think I get more enjoyment out of this than any of the listeners. (laughs) Anyway. I was going to say, I wonder if Operator Tickles was born and... The vet was Chuck Norris. Uh, maybe. I mean, That'd it's, be it's pretty cool. Yeah. And he, it's the only time Chuck Norris has ever cried. It's plausible. So we'll just roll with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right, Sven. Just remind listeners once again where they can find all of your awesome products. Manticorearms.com is our web store. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Manticore Arms. We're the only Manticore Arms out there. So yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, we are out of here. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.